Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Welcome back again to Sports Time. Bryant and Johnny with you. No Brett Norsworthy today, but he'll be back tomorrow. I had something in my throat there, Johnny. Did you hear that? that was, yeah, that yeah. Throat, Get some right? water. Good Lord. Uh, join us now. Talk some college basketball. Kevin Sweeney. Go give him a follow on Twitter at CBB underscore Central. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, a busy week in uh, the college basketball world. But I do want to start off with the Memphis Tigers. Uh, a lot of people still wondering what this season will be. A big win over Florida Atlantic over the weekend. That's now back-to-back wins. Very convincing win uh, against Charlotte last week. Then the win against Florida Atlantic. I'm still kind of in the boat of you got to go and and win the conference tournament uh, in a couple of weeks down in Texas to get into the NCAA tournament. Do you think there's a chance for the Tigers with these two wins now and if you can get something rolling to make a run down in Texas and get to the NCAA tournament without winning their conference? Yeah, I wouldn't close the door. Look, I think inevitably there's a lot of chaos around the bubble and a lot of teams will play themselves out. Probably Mm -hmm. more will play themselves out than in. Uh, I think the easiest path certainly for Memphis is still to win that conference tournament, but I wouldn't rule out them getting in if they could you know, make a push, go to the championship, get a couple of extra quads, you know, one and two wins. Question is, is that enough with some of the, you know, damage they've already sustained to their resume? Right. Yeah. Well, what do you? I, we were talking earlier with uh, with one of our SEC basketball guests, and he kind of made the. Uh, the thought of the SEC, he would like to see them do something where they maybe move the championship game to maybe a Saturday because we've seen and, and Memphis has seen it here over the past couple of years of, you know, that sometimes that Sunday championship game doesn't really move the needle any. It, it feels like the selection committee has already decided what teams are going and, you know, they've got a tweak here and there if something crazy happens. But largely, if you play one of these Sunday championship games, your seed's not going to move a ton with a win or with a loss. Do, do you think more conferences should move that championship game to Saturday and try to play it earlier to kind of get ahead of the bracket? Yeah, look, I think it's worth looking into. I'll, I'll say this. like, I, I think it's been more than just Sunday that has been ignored by the committee. I think at times it felt like Saturday and even Friday results haven't really moved the needle the way that you would expect them to based on you know, what, like, what, at least what you would think, right? right. Uh, I think there's enough evidence at this point to suggest, like, hey, like, there's just not been a whole lot of movement created uh, by those late conference tournament games. Whether mm-hmm. it's a good thing or a bad thing, I mean, I think it's you know, kind of up to the league. Like, I think the conference tournaments are a TV product first and foremost, and having right. stuff that weekend when basketball is you know, the biggest deal is, is big time. But at the same time, for, for, for pure bid maximization or seeding or whatever, yeah, I think we'd, we'd rather have the sun by you know, Wednesday or Thursday to give the community some time to deliberate. No, people are not going to talk about it. Uh, I- I know uh, the biggest story, and I don't want to spend a ton of time because I feel like everybody and their mother has been talking about it this week, but the biggest story right now um, in college basketball is certainly the debate over court stormings after what happened over the weekend uh, in that game against uh, Wake Forest and Duke. Where do you stand on this whole situation? I know you know some people seem like they're completely against it. We need to get rid of it. Um, it, you know, it needs to be in the past. There are other people that say, well, you know, keep it, but maybe do something to change it to keep 
keep these type of things from happening and risking injuries to the players. I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I I don't really know which side I'm on. Uh, Which side are you on? Where where do you sit on this? I think court storm is one of the things that makes college basketball college basketball. It's one of the things that keeps crowds exciting and and gives gives it the juice that NBA games don't have. And so I don't Mm -hmm. want to lose that tradition. I think there's ways we can do it safer. I think there should be more kind of action plans in place by all the schools that should have to be vetted by each conference. Uh, there should be punishments if that action plan isn't executed properly. There should be, you know, whatever it has to do to delay, delay, delay. As long as you can't hold those students off the court, or at least hold them from being a bum rush to, mm-hmm. to give a Kyle Filipowski or a Caitlin Clark, whoever it's been, give them time to get off the floor and, and make sure they're not you know, injured. Fortunately, neither has ended in a severe injury. And I, I think maybe opposing players probably need to be educated a little more of like, hey, like, you know, this is going to happen, like, get off the floor. Like, it's yeah. not Kyle Filpey's, Filpey's fault, but he also could have gotten off the floor a lot quicker than he did, kind of put himself in that situation. So, look, I, I don't I don't think we need to be, like, throwing kids in jail or no. any of the nonsense that has been discussed no. over the last, you know, 72, 96 hours. But uh, certainly something that will be addressed by, by league offices here in the offseason. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I was, especially with the the Wake Force. It seemed to me like more of security. It just didn't seem like there was a a plan in place uh, going into that. I think back to I think what last week or, or the week before um, when when uh, Creighton beat UConn, and I thought you know their security team did a really good job of kind of funneling the the fans to kind of one side of the court, and then they come in and they have UConn's entire bench area, kind of all the way almost to to the free throw line uh, blocked off so that you know really no students can get anywhere close to that team and I think that's how it needs to be I just felt like this was more on on security yeah there needs to be more security preparation for mm-hmm. that moment to happen right it's Lake Forest you knew that you knew you were going to start the court if you beat Duke like yeah. it's part of the deal um, and sometimes it's just you know arena layouts and things like that you know some places I think ten, there tends to be less impediments to the court when mm-hmm. your student section's on the baseline than the sideline whereas if you're coming from the sideline, often that scores tables and you know, trade, you know, just, right. just more more room to get around, right? So, uh, look, I, I think there was kind of a comedy of errors there, and led to a relatively you know shaky situation. And again, fortunately, Philip Aspen's all right. Yeah, when I I hate that this happened because it really took away from a a great game between Duke and Wake Forest. We talked last week about Wake Forest really needing that kind of key victory, and they got it on Saturday with that win over Duke. But then last night um, they dropped one against uh, Notre Dame. I don't think it looks as bad as we thought. I think uh, last night it was a quad three loss. Now I think it's a quad two loss after everything that happened last night and how the net has moved this morning. What have you made of these? last two games for Wake Forest, and, and where do you think they sit right now in terms of the bracket? Yeah, I was in South Bend last night, and mm. it was just a classic, uh, classic letdown spot. Right? Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame plays really slow. Uh, the atmosphere was dead. There was probably 2,000 people at that game. and you know, I think Wake actually came out all right. Uh, but in the second half, just you know, some attention to detail things, offensive rebounds, it's just stuff you can't do if you want to win on the road, and uh, credit to Notre Dame. I mean, their freshman guard was absolutely phenomenal. Marcus Burton, mm-hmm. he's been a great player for for Mike Shrewsbury. So, yeah, quite too lost. Not the end of the world. I think Wake right now is is the last four in type of team. You know, the mm-hmm. perfect type of team in my mind to send to Dayton. They're flawed. They don't really win on the road. They've got you know, certainly a lot of work to do. But their best their best performances have looked you know not just tournament quality, but you know second weekend maybe even elite eight quality. So. Yeah. Uh, I think you got to find a way to get them into the field, but uh, they, they certainly made things a little bit more difficult for themselves here with that loss to Notre Dame. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other kind of games in the uh, the ACC, R.J. Davis was incredible Monday night for North Carolina, the only player to score in double figures, had a career record, um, a record inside of that building for most points. Um, it just a really, really good game. I've had kind of an ongoing... I don't know if I want to call it argument discussion about this North Carolina team with with one of our coworkers that works uh, earlier in the day, and he is just not sold on this North Carolina team. He really says, you know, does not like the the small guards they have, and I really like this team. I I don't know what it is about them. I just like watching them play. I just feel like the pieces they have, if they're all working, um, it is a, a really fun team to watch. What do you see when you look at this North Carolina team in terms of a of a team that can make a run in March? March. Well, I think they have the guard, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if, when you're talking about uh, who, who, who's the Kemba Walker of this March, right? Like, to me, it's, it could be RJ Davis. He's got dynamic. You know, the 42 point game, notwithstanding, like, he's a guy who can take over games right. because of his ability to create off the bounce. He can pass. Like, he's obviously a you know big time tough shot maker, and he's experienced, right? He's been in the setting, had big games in that March run two years ago. So, look, I, I think he, he opens a lot of doors for them. They obviously have the experience. They have you know, size in the front court. Um, they have guys who are bought into that role, like Cormac Ryan and, and Harrison Ingram, who I just think are, are, are happy to defend and make threes and do all the little stuff for, for that team to win. Um, look, I haven't, I haven't been floored. You know, I haven't been, like, overwhelmed by how they played lately. Right. Like, I, I think they, they've left some, some meat on the bone in a lot of these games. Miami certainly, not not notwithstanding, that was not a great performance by any means. <laughs> not but at all. R, RJ is, is so explosive that he can win you games when you're not playing well, and that's a a good recipe to have in March. Yeah. Talking to Kevin Sweeney, joins us every single week to talk college basketball. Go give him a follow at CBB underscore Central. Uh, last night, uh, crazy night in college basketball. The one that uh, shocked me was BYU going to Lawrence and beating Kansas on their home court. Obviously, no Kevin McCuller for uh, for Kansas, and it sounds like if he does return, it'd be further into March. How much is Kansas missing without McCuller on the court? You could certainly see it last night, but how much of a miss is that for them? I mean, it's huge. And for, for one, he's, you know, this is not a deep team, right? right? So taking anyone out of the rotation is going to be a big deal. Taking McCuller, who's your best perimeter defender, your best um, shot creator on the win, um, and one of your only consistent outside shooters. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's really kind of a triple whammy, uh, and it's not a good recipe for, for Kansas. Like, to me, this is a team that feels very vulnerable to an early exit in March if they can't get it back. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think the hope is that he will come back. Um, you know, I think Bill Self being, being cautious, and for good reason, right? Seeding's not the most important thing for this Kansas team. They'll still be a top-four team kind of regardless of what happens. Right. Uh, but, I mean, that was that was not pretty in the second half. To blow that 12-point lead... It's defensively some lapses. They, they just, and I think the thing that's really concerning, like they just don't have a lot of answers. Like they're going to have to play so much through Hunter Dickinson mm-hmm. uh, to win games offensively for as long as McCullers not there. And I'm not sure that's a great recipe given how little shooting they put around. Yeah, yeah, and with I mean some of the additions they had. I mean Nick Timberlake. A lot of people talking about him in the off seasons being a huge addition, and you know, he goes one for nine last night and just hasn't produced much for them this year but on the other side of that game BYU we've we've talked about them a fair amount this season because it's kind of this weird team they they come into the Big 12 they're you know an analytic darling early you know all the metrics love them they were I think what like top 10 or or 
you know, top 12 in Kimpom early in the season. They take a ton of threes and, and took, you know, 34 last night, shot about 38% from three. I mean, what do you see when you look at this BYU team? Are you sold on them? I've seen some people jumping in and saying, this BYU team is really, really good. Are you there yet, or, or do you still need to see more? What do you think about this BYU team? I think the one thing we were missing from them was a big-time performance away from home. I think mm-hmm. their best win before yesterday away from Provo was against MC State or against, or at UCF. Those were the two yeah. best wins. Like that's not that's not moving the needle. So um, certainly doing it at Allen Fieldhouse means a lot. Uh, it, it makes you a lot more confident in what they can accomplish in this setting. Uh, I, I still think it's going to be hard for them to win you know, make a deep run just because I think they're so reliant on three and they don't really have self creators, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Alabama, for instance, team takes a ton of threes, but they can go create their own shot. Mm-hmm. BYU has to get it through action, through, you know, you know, spacing. And, and, and if there's not one guy that can take over a game, I think that's the thing I would worry about is like what happens on the cold nights. And when they've been cold, they haven't looked particularly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, another game that I was keeping an eye on last night was that Texas and Texas Tech game, which was, I mean, became a, a blowout early, and then it got crazy down when you know Texas gets a, a double tech for kind of a hip check out of bounds. The student section goes crazy. ESPN panned over to a student that was getting carried out like by four or five cops. I mean, it was a crazy scene. Um, but for that Texas Tech team, Grant McCaslin's first season coming in. Uh, from North Texas. What have you th- uh, thought of the job he's done in year one? I mean, until yesterday, I had an amazing job. I and mean, obviously yeah. yesterday was not fun. They couldn't, couldn't score the basketball. But I think he's a he's a very adaptable coach. Like He's someone who was known for defense and playing slow when they were at North Texas. And I think realized pretty quickly like he's going to have to have a different recipe in the Big 12 and mm-hmm. brought, in, brought in smart people around him to kind of revolutionize how they play. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I think the consistency thing for them has been a question, and it hasn't it hasn't always been there. Sure. We've got lost three or four, which is obviously a little bit concerning. Offensively, especially you know, sixty one against UCF, sixty nine against Texas, but was you know, really down low, down low, you know, in like the thirties and forties until pretty late in that ball game. So I have to find a way to be a little bit more consistent. But I think all things considered, given what he walked into in terms of roster turnover and in terms of just overall dysfunction post Mark Madsen. Or not Mark Pat, Mark Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think all things considered, it's a win year one for for Grant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, how hard is this Big Twelve tournament going to be to win? Because I mean, you look just look at last night. You know, Texas goes on the road and and beats Texas Tech. BYU goes on the road and beats Kansas. It seems like every single conference game this year in the Big Twelve has been an all out fight. I mean, how difficult is it going to be for a team like Houston to win this, or, or a team like Kansas to put it together and win, or really any of these top teams with you know eight or seven or eight teams projected to go to the NCAA? tournament yeah i think it's gonna be incredibly rough and tumble i think honestly in some ways you might be better off exiting somewhat early obviously you want to build some momentum but this league is so physical like i don't love the concept of putting your your team through four days of of war Mm -hmm. to win that conference tournament just to turn around and you know three four days later be fighting for your life in the NCAA tournament right like 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 think about a path where you have to play iowa state and houston on consecutive days that's you're going to a nice bath after that one. So, uh, you know, I, I think that would be my main concern. I think Houston has proven themselves to be the most consistent team in the league. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they win the conference tournament, uh, partially because they're just so darn competitive. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the hallmark in a, in a setting like that. But uh, at the end of the day, like, 
it is going to be an absolute war and, and certainly wouldn't surprise me if the number of teams won it. Yeah, no, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be must-see TV when that uh, conference tournament comes around. Um, last night, Kentucky gets the road win against uh, Mississippi State, a game that they entered as I think that game got all the way up to like a Mississippi State a four-and-a-half point favorite, maybe even five at some places. Um, but, you know, a, a an underdog for sure uh, on the road against Mississippi State, but they go in. Mississippi State controls the game early. Here comes this team. Here comes Reed Shepard, who has become the story from that game last night um, with his uh, you know thirty plus point performance. Now you've seen this this Kentucky team. They can go put up you know one hundred and seventeen points against Alabama like they did over the weekend, and then they can come back in, in the second half and and beat a team like Mississippi State. It seems like you know things are turning for this team in terms. Maybe of consistency. Do you see that for this Kentucky team? I thought they had moments against Mississippi State that were phenomenal. I thought mm-hmm. they had moments that were pretty shaky, right? Like I, I think that's the magic of this Kentucky team is that they didn't have to play perfect basketball to win on the road against the tournament team, but right. also the concern of like there was a lot of moments there where you're like, what are they doing defensively? How, how like you know, I think a lot of people had kind of anointed Kentucky as like back on the defensive end because yeah. of what they did to Auburn and. I saw a lot of lapses uh, yesterday. I mean, it was not a pretty performance in a lot of respects. And we got just found a way. And, and obviously, Reed Shepard was phenomenal in the second half. So, look, I think everyone knows they're dangerous. I think, you know, certainly that win helps propel them towards a potential top four seed in the NCAA tournament. But um, still want to see that 40 minute performance. Maybe it was, that was what it was against Alabama. Mm-hmm. That's what it was see. And I mean, uh, I'm not sure we saw it. We'll see a better, at least, offensive performance in college basketball this season. Yeah. But, um, you know, there, there were some ups and downs in, in that game, and you know, they were certainly fortunate to win it, especially with the way they executed down the stretch. It seems like there's a lot of tournament teams this year. You know, we mentioned Kentucky. We were talking about Kansas earlier. It seems like really outside of those number one seeds that we expect to be number one seeds on Selection Sunday, it seems like there's a lot of teams this year in college basketball that are good teams that can go out and dominate on any given night, but we've seen them have a ton of lapses, and it seems like they could be beat on any any given night. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think that there's an incredible balance throughout college basketball this season. I think the other thing I would point to is a lot of the teams that you do think you should probably trust have shaky marked track records, right? Like we're talking Tennessee and Rick, Rick Barnes. We're talking Purdue and Matt Painter. We're talking about Arizona, who lost to a 15 seed last year and you know, probably should have went out in the first weekend a, a year before that. So. Yeah. Uh, like I think it's fascinating to, to see. I think it's it's hard to it's a lot easier as it is most years, but mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to convince yourself why why teams aren't going to win the NCAA tournament than it is to convince yourself why they're going to. So sure. obviously we'll see where we'll see how it breaks, but uh, I think it does feel wide open. I do think that you know that top three, maybe even top four, if you want to include Arizona in that conversation, mm-hmm. I think they've asserted themselves as a little bit better or a little more consistent if nothing else than the rest of the nation. But uh, not a lot not a lot of outcomes would surprise me this season, I think. Right. Um, another kind of eye-opening, uh, you know, eyebrow-raising game from last night was Arkansas losing at home against Vanderbilt, and this season has just been, uh, you know, almost night and day difference to what we've kind of come accustomed to seeing from Eric Musselman in these Arkansas teams. Brought in a ton of transfers um, last off season to to build this roster, but now we've heard the rumors, we've heard um, the reports that you know he's not happy at Arkansas, and and that he would, you know, if, if offers come to him, that there's a good chance he might leave Arkansas for a different job. Do you see a job that could come or maybe is already open for this offseason that you think Eric Musselman would take or that Eric Musselman would be a good fit for? 
you, know, you hear different things. I mean, some people think he's desperate enough that he would take something like Arizona State if that opened. Wow. Um, I, I would be surprised just because I think the NIL situation would need to be really good at ASU. Mm-hmm. Um, not that Arkansas's NIL is supposedly fantastic, and I've heard some rumors of you know, shaky things of you know, especially given transitions in leadership in the NIL program that's causing them, you know, causing much concern. That's one of you know five, six, seven things that he is frustrated with right now uh, at Arkansas. But look, at the end of the day, I, I don't really have a great pulse for for where he would leave for. But I do think he wants to be out if he can. Mm. Wow, that would be uh, a massive change at Arkansas if that did happen. Um, a couple more quick things for you, uh, Kevin. Uh, big night in the Mountain West. Um, you had Utah State having to hit a last-second uh, three to force overtime against Fresno State. Obviously, everyone's talking today about Nevada and their last-second win over Colorado State. I saw earlier uh, Jerry Palms of, uh, of CBS Sports. I believe he has six teams right now in his bracket. Um, two of those teams, Boise State is on the 8 line, New Mexico is on the 10 line. How many teams do you think New, uh, the uh, Mountain West get this year? I think all six are in good shape, unbelievably. I mean, they've, wow. they've, they've all kind of coalesced together around the same range. And so, mm-hmm. do I feel confident that any of those teams are going to necessarily make a run? Like, I don't think the team is good as last year, San Diego State, in this mix, but that's part of how they're able to get six bids, is that everyone's been able to beat up on each other. I mean, mm-hmm. You think about this, Colorado State's 8-8 eight and eight in the league right now. A team beat Creighton in the non-conference, beat Colorado in the non-conference, beat Washington in the non-conference. A team beat Creighton by like 20, too. Right? I think it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. So uh, the balance has been phenomenal to watch. Uh, obviously, I think that the product as a whole in the league has been you know, ex- exciting and obviously some of crazy finishes last night. Yeah. Certainly a, a, a the latest example of that. But uh, I do think they're going to get six. I mean, maybe I think New Mexico probably on the shakiest ground as of now if they're losing the Air Force over the weekend. But uh, if they can you know, find a way to win one more kind of up game, a quad one or a quad two game. I think mm-hmm. they're in good shape. Last thing for you, Kevin. Uh, tonight we got a lot of listeners in the area that are uh, big Tennessee supporters. They've got a big one tonight at home starting in less than an hour. Auburn uh, goes to Thompson Bowling Arena. What do you expect in that top 25 matchup tonight? Uh, I think it's going to be a war. I mean, yeah. physicality-wise, both sides obviously want to want to get, get down and dirty and be physical and uh, I think to me, Tennessee wins the game because they have the better shot maker mm-hmm. in Dolphin Connect. I think he wins with this game, but uh, obviously a huge one for SEC title implications for both teams. So I'm sure they'll be ready for it. Yeah, should be uh, really fun tonight in Knoxville. As always, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Always a ton of fun talking hoops with you, and we'll do it again next week. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin Sweeney joins us every single week talk college basketball and. I mean, Johnny, if it wasn't for that darn leap year, we'd be talking about March starting tomorrow. It would be officially March, but now we got to wait an extra day. It's just crazy how fast this year have just flown by. Yeah, yeah. it is hard to believe, but uh, some really exciting games as we're starting to – and I, I kind of felt bad. I felt like early uh, in our conversation with Kevin, like all of my questions were kind of directed to what kind of run do you think this team can make? What type of team do you think this is in terms of, of March Madness? But like – we're to that point now where these teams only have 
three games left yeah. in max, yeah. I think. Maybe four. Every game counts. So. Um, yeah, and so all of these games are super important and uh, you know, in terms of seeding, in terms of you know the conference tournament. So I'm um, really exciting games tonight. I mentioned that game um, with both him and, and earlier. Um, we talked about it a little bit. We also talked to Blake about it. Um, that Auburn-Tennessee game should be a lot of fun. That one starts at 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Number 11 versus number 4 um, should be a really, really good game. I think two, in terms of defensive efficiency i think two of the the better teams i think two maybe top 25 teams in defensive efficiency uh in the country so uh should be a really really good game tonight but some some really uh you know across the board some really good games yeah they got a big lineup tonight yeah it should be a, a lot of fun well we need to get to a break um and when we come back we'll talk about what's trending we are real sports talk sports 56 whbq Available on your radio dial at 560 AM and 98.5 FM, as well as around the world online at sports56whbq.com. Take us with you everywhere by downloading the Sports 56 app. And at home, just say, Alexa, play Sports 56. Wherever you are, stay tuned in to Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Again to sports time, Bryant and Johnny with you. Brett Norsworthy back tomorrow. Yeah, uh, on a much Thursday, needed rest, man. And we'll uh, we'll wrap up uh, the week with him for the next two days, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, but we have a little less than thirty minutes left in today's show. A lot I want to get to um, in this uh, segment. Don't think we'll get to all of it, but we'll try our best. Uh, Johnny, did you see any of the Texas and Texas Tech game? We talked a little bit about it with Kevin, uh, but did you get to see any of that game? No, I did not get a chance to see the game. Crazy game. I told John, uh, not you, not not you, Johnny, John, Johnny Radio earlier today, I was telling him, because um, I think just a little secret between me and you, Johnny. I hope nobody else is listening. Yeah, yeah. If you are. Now you're roped in on the secret. <laughs> I think John had money on the game. Are you serious? Because I brought it up. I was like, oh, John, did you? Or maybe he brought it up. I don't remember. I was like, that Texas, Texas Tech game. He's like, oh, that was awful. That was a horrible game. And I was <laughs> like, John, that game was crazy. That game was <laughs> like wild. Now, it was like a 25, almost 30 point game at some points. I understand. I get it. That game was fun so really texas gets out early i didn't get a chance jumps all over tech and i mean it's like it's not even a game anymore really so second half comes around it always kind of felt like because you know grant mccaslin their new coach comes from from north texas um and if you've been watching north texas this year or the past couple of years you would know defensively they're great i mean his north texas teams were unbelievable defensively and he has carried that same mindset to texas tech now obviously a little different it needs time to like you know get these guys adapted to your style um but it felt like last night like even though this is a big lead it felt like at any point Texas Tech could string together a couple stops, yeah, okay, I get see what baskets you're on the other end, and we'd have a game. 
And so I'm watching. I'm like, all right, all right, get a stop here, get a basket, get a stop here, get a basket, get a stop here, get a basket. And obviously a rowdy crowd. This is the last time Texas and Texas Tech will meet um, as conference mates and obviously a big rivalry there um, unless they meet again in the conference tournament because obviously Texas is going to the SEC next year. So great atmosphere, places rocking, obviously not rocking as much because they're losing. All the fans hate the calls. There were maybe a couple questionable calls, uh, but I don't like to blame officials. It's a hard job. Um, yeah. And... Uh, at one point, a Texas player, can't remember his name, comes and like hip checks one of the Texas Tech players and like knocks him out of bounds. And it was like a crazy, like, I've heard so many people today call it like a football play almost. Like it, it literally looked like when you're, you know, when a wide receiver or running back's running down the sideline and you just like kind of hit him with your shoulder and with your hip and knock him out of bounds. That's kind of like what it looked like last night in that game. And, uh, so he gets a flagrant too. That they start kind of pushing, e- they start kind of pushing each other. Yeah, and they start uh, being a physical, right? And uh, you know, it, it never really like got to a point where like, oh, you know, something's gonna, something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen. They were just kind of you know pushing each other, and uh, so the refs, you know, get to the table. They look at it. They end up calling a flagrant two on the Texas player. Yeah, and place is going crazy. Everyone's booing. People are throwing things on the court. You know fireball bottles like these you know the little travel bottles of fireball and um like cups and stuff like that yeah espn pans over to some kid that that is literally being dragged out of the arena really one one really one police officer has this arm the other police officer has this arm the third police officer has one leg another police officer (laughs) has another leg man i gotta see there's like two more cops just like standing around making sure nothing crazy happens so they pan up him up i was like what was that let's go back to that and uh i mean it got so bad that they issued a technical on texas tech for fans throwing things onto the court and grant mccaslin had to get the mic and was like hey we're, we're like y'all gotta y'all gotta stop. Like we're not doing that anymore. Like stop. Th- y'all can't throw things onto the court. Every piece of like anything that's every item of of that's thrown onto the court will be an additional technical foul on us if this keeps happening. Oh yeah, I see. I see the technical fouls. I look at it. I and, looked it up. Oh my so, goodness. Uh, so yeah, like, twenty one. So like they're like, oh okay, whatever. Yeah, and he's like, you got me, and everyone's like, yeah, and then they like kind of like you know kind of stopped, but not really. It was just a wild atmosphere, and the text tech cut it to like fourteen at one point. Yeah. like I don't know how how close they got. It was never like super close. I was like, oh my gosh, text tech's gonna come back and and win this game, but it was still like a fun game that I was like. This is wild. Like, this is crazy atmosphere. And the fact that this conference is so good that Texas can go on the road to Texas Tech on the same night that BYU went on the road to Kansas and both come out with a win in a season that it is so hard to win road games. I mean, when you look at all the numbers, we've talked about it before, and the numbers are getting better. But when you look at the last, like, five to seven years in terms of, like, winning percentage on the road it is so down this year in terms of like the last couple years i know there's that stat of like ranked teams that are on the road against unranked teams and it was at one point it was down like 40 percent this year now it's gotten back up and i think it's around 50 percent now which is still 
about 17% lower than it was last year. Yeah, that's a big drop. So that's a drop. It's really hard to win on the road. And in this conference, that is so tough. You had two road teams win on the road last night. I thought it was really impressive. Yeah, man. Uh, and, 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 man, even though I didn't get really a chance to see it, but looking at the, these numbers and reading some of these articles, man, man, what a what a physical game it yeah. was, man. Uh, it, it like you said, it w- it wasn't like a game that like not overly points, uh-huh. but but this was a real defense game. Each team had a, a wide norm of steals. Uh, Texas led on the blocking. Uh, Texas Tech didn't even get a single block. They had six. Texas Tech had zero. They both had a lot of steals, but a lot of fouls during that game. A lot of fouls. So so you can tell that it was a real physical game. Uh, Texas Longhorns they shot forty six percent from the field, and Texas Tech. They just couldn't get it going. They shot 36%. So, like, if you shoot like that, of course, it being a physical game, emotional atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the things that happened during the game, man, whoa, that, that, that's amazing, man. And, and I even see the article up here from Sports Illustrated and even said it, th- this got to stop, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what a headline. That's this this got to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so what a headline, man. Man, that was a fun game last night. It was a really good night last night. Some really good games tonight in college basketball. And I know uh, we'll you know probably be beaming. I don't know where you're beaming, but I'll probably beam to a college game tonight. Um, we'll have to see. But uh, I do want to talk some NFL here because obviously the combine going on tomorrow um, – well, I guess the on-field portion starting tomorrow will go throughout the weekend. But I know a lot of people excited about that. Um, and I think the the biggest question that people are asking, what's going to happen with Caleb Williams? Um, obviously a very weird spot because Bears have the number one pick. But at the same time, the Bears are in this weird situation where they have a fairly young quarterback in, in Justin, Justin Fields. Fields that has shown flashes at times that he can be the quarterback. I mean, it got so far last year where we started the season, okay, Caleb Mills is going to be the guy going forward. They're going to, you know, tank, get a top draft pick, and and draft Caleb Williams and move on from Justin Fields. Yeah. Well, Johnny, don't forget, towards the end of the season last year, we were having real arguments of should they stick around with Justin Fields? Should they trade that number one pick, drop down, or maybe even draft uh, Marvin Harrison with that yeah. first pick and give? And he'll be worth it. Give he, him he, another weapon, right? And man, there's so many. Man, I, I, this is why we love the off season of the mm-hmm. NFL stories like this, man. And to me, man, you just you just don't know. Like like Bo made a good point. The thing that we might think happened. Mm-hmm. Might not even happen. Right. Like for all we know, Chicago, <laughs> they could decide, man. We we gonna keep. We gonna have Caleb Williams, and we and and they gonna probably trade Fields later. But but knowing that, that can that can really destroy a locker room, man. So you really gonna have to make a choice, man. Mm-hmm. You gonna have to make a choice. You won't go Justin Fields, and Justin Fields, he's a young guy. If mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, he's 24. Caleb. Caleb Williams, he's 22 years old. He got a lot of upsides. We all know he's a Heisman winner, and he got a great arm, man. But but you got to see, man, the the Chicago Bears, they got all the cars in their hands. Mm-hmm. It's just on, like, where do you want to go? Yeah, no, they absolutely do. So interesting. I know there's a story in The Athletic. I didn't get to read the entire thing today, but there's a story in The Athletic today about Caleb Williams and just kind of, like, who he is because we know – the type of player he is on the field. I mean, game yeah. changer. Obviously, this year was different because that defense at USC was just 
really bad. I mean, call call it what it is. It was really bad defense, and and that really hurt, um, you know, that team this year. So we know what he is on the field, but it's kind of off the field where it seems like a lot of people have questions. He doesn't have an agent. We were talking to Bo about that yesterday. He doesn't have an agent. His father kind of handles everything and then he surrounded really? himself with like you know business people because obviously he was in a position at USC where he's now making money and he is you know having to figure out what NIL deals do I want to take what do I want to turn down which one is going to be beneficial to me um you know and this was interesting I saw this he's already made an estimated 10 million dollars before even taking a snap in the NFL. I believe it, man. It's crazy. And I believe it. Especially, Brian, when you look at the market that he's at, mm-hmm. he's, in, he's in California. Yeah. And uh, you, you see that a lot of times if you, if people do go on the uh, USC Trojan uh, page, man, mm-hmm. you can just see Caleb Williams getting NIL. You can right. see that uh, uh, Brandon, Brandon Rice getting NIL. Mm-hmm. Taj Washington getting NIL. Like, like they promote their guys getting NIL. They promote it all, man. So, so, and then they, when you're in a state like California, they got a lot of resources and opportunities yeah. out there. So it's not shocking that he made $10 million before he even was on the field. It's, it's yeah. not shocking, man. It's not. No, it's not. And certainly good for USC when you can point and say, look how much money we were able to get that guy. I mean, not that they did anything, but. And then know. we got ESPN writing articles about it. Sure. That makes people want to come even more. Um, but, you know, so you see that, and that obviously brought up all the discussion uh, earlier in the season of, well, you know, I have another year that I could, you know, go back and, you know, I could go back to USC and just continue to make NIL money. Um, there was that weird time where he. Uh, you know, was saying, or I guess his father was saying that, you know, they they wanted, you know, some sort of stake in the team, you know, some sort of equity in yeah, that was a true team statement. that drafted him, um, which a lot of people in the NFL were like, what? What are you even talking about? You're, you're a rookie coming in here. Um, and a legendary organization like the Bears that's like a granddaddy franchise, they're not getting, right. in, getting it, right. you any type of stake. Right. Well, and, then, and then you brought up yesterday, I mean, from Washington D.C., would he would he rather you know the reports coming out that you know maybe he'd rather either Washington trade up to number one or yeah. the Bears go wide receiver so that he can go home and, and kind of play for his hometown team. You know, this isn't a guy that was you know born in D.C. and then grew up somewhere else. You know, he played at Gonzaga High School in uh, in D.C. So I mean, this is a guy that um, spent a lot of his time in D.C. and and I'm sure that would be big for him. But he did come out today. Um, and said that uh, Pete Thamel of ESPN, um, he had a, a the quotes from Caleb Williams that uh, he would be excited to play in Chicago, that if they selected him number one, he said he's been watching a lot of Michael Jordan and Walter Payton. Here's his quotes. Uh, I'm 22. I don't really get to, I didn't get, I didn't really get to see those players. Um, as the saying goes, the legends live on. That's my goal of playing football. It's not money. It's not fame. It's to be immortal. Uh, I want to reach the sense of being a legend, being at the table and having uh, a rightful seat through hard work and energy and time I've put into the game that we all love. So, I mean, it, it, it looks like, uh, you know, maybe, uh, Obviously, he's going to say the right thing. He is. You know, it just being a uh, a number one pick. He's not going to say, "Yeah, you know, 
I don't want to be number one. I'd rather go number two, or I'd rather them trade down. I don't want to be a Chicago Bear. Who wants to live in Chicago? Who wants to, you know, who wants to spend their time being a Bear? I mean, you saw Justin Fields couldn't do it. I mean, why would I want to go there and waste years? So, yeah. um, you know, I do think he's saying the right things. I don't think he would be super against going to to the Bears. And then last night, I think you saw it. They they showed it on ESPN earlier yeah. um, during one of the shows. But a video that circulated last night of Justin Fields. He celebrating. was jumping. Up and down, I mean, he enjoy. Was, he was excited. I believe it was his agent um, that posted that video. A lot of people saying that that could either be him celebrating that he was traded, and maybe. he knew what he was doing posting that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, people saying that could be either because he got traded or because you know maybe he's going back. You know, he's gotten confirmation that he's going back to Chicago. I think you know him being a, a Georgia guy that you know being traded to Atlanta. I did see. Uh, I don't know if this means anything to anybody, but. Um, last night, the, uh, odds of where he would play next year were taken down. And then I guess they've come back up in some places and Arizona, or, uh, Atlanta is minus 300 for him to return or to, to start the season with wow. the Atlanta Falcons next year. So, you know, a lot of news, um, going on right now. And it, it sounds like things are kind of pointing into the direction of Justin Fields being the, uh, the quarterback for Atlanta going forward. And that would certainly be a huge, uh, a huge boost for that team that you know is really looking for a quarterback. I wonder what would be the package. What do you think, Damn, Brian? Let's just play a game. What do you think the package would be for Justin Fields? I'm no GM. I, I, I you know. I feel like they're going to have. A, I'm an idiot that sits in front of a microphone. I can't tell you what what I think a trade package. I think would be I think they Fields. will have to give up a one and probably. Well, and that's a what t- a lot of people say. A, you know, a two, yeah, and some some else. You kind of maybe maybe pick swap or something where you know yeah they're gonna have Atlanta to do that jumps up to they're one have to they fall them. back to eight it'll be interesting to see uh i'm looking happens. forward to draft night yeah no draft night comes soon uh obviously the combine uh starting tomorrow with the on-field activities will be a lot of fun as well well we're late for a break let's go ahead and grab that and when we come back we'll wrap up today's show with taco bell crunch time add a little fun to your lunch break join johnny radio for Sports 56 Happy Hour from 11 to 1 every weekday on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. This is pretty cool, and we're just getting started, so... You are looking live. In your life have you seen anything like that? Goodbye. It's obviously crunch time. Hammer, nail, coffin. This baby is over. The Double Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito. So good. Double the steak with nacho cheese sauce, seasoned rice, red strips, sour cream, and the three cheese blend wrapped inside a warm flour tortilla with even more three-cheese blend grilled on the top. The Double Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito, it hits the spot now at Taco Bell. And at Taco Bell, when they say they are feeding people's lives with unexpected good, they mean it. Bold food you can't get anywhere else. 
Well, a little bit of breaking news here is what I learned today. Ross Dellinger, uh, who covers college football for Yahoo Sports, reported about 30 minutes ago um, a 14-team playoff model is being socialized that would grant three automatic qualifiers to each of the Big Ten and the SEC. So you really? automatically get three teams from the Big Ten, three teams from the SEC, two AQs for both the Big 12 and the ACC. So that's now six, that's ten. One AQ for a G5, so Memphis or, or one of these other teams, and then three at-large bids. So that is what is being uh, pitched right now. The model's not finalized. Um, it is. It's not also. It's not the only option on the table right yeah. now. But it is one um, that is is certainly being talked about a lot. More discussion um, and vetting is expected to happen soon. So Ross Dellinger reporting that that fourteen playoff that we've been kind of talking about. Yeah. How would that work? What would it look like? Three AQs for the Big Ten and the SEC, two AQs for the Big 12 and the ACC, one AQ for the G5, and then three spots after that to play for. Man, that's man. I'm looking forward to that, man. I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, one thing I learned, Brian, the UFL, the UFL, yep. they're, they're starting up, man, and, and they were doing media day. You, I saw the Showboats mm. media day um, on, on Instagram and on on Twitter and a lot of different things. I also saw, saw Birmingham. They were showing their media day. So, it's, it, man, I'm looking forward to really diving deeper into this because the XFL and the USFL have combined to make the UFL. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing spring football. Yeah, because. Absolutely. I know, and we really didn't get the opportunity to see it. So, sure. so now we finally really getting a chance to see it now. Yeah, and so this will be year two. I really enjoyed last year uh, with the USFL, but now joining forces with the XFL should be a lot of fun. Uh, what I could have done without today, Johnny. I don't know if you saw this. Um, the NFLPA. Um, had report cards for all 32 teams in the NFL, um, and a couple teams got Fs, and uh, for different reasons. I saw one of the reasons. I think the Chargers got an F in terms of uh, like childcare or something like that, and said that um, there's a lot of uh, NFL teams that offer daycare options during yeah. the week and and on the weekends and stuff like that. Um, most of them are free to players. You know, just bring your kid on the way to practice, drop them off, you're good. Um, that the uh, Chargers charge for families. I think it's like $75 a kid Whoa. and then 50 for additional kids. On top of that, <laughs> maybe a little less money than that, but still, they're, they charge, That's some money, though. They charge uh, the players for the child care for their kids. And also, there was another team, I can't remember this, um, a team that got an F for food because they don't offer three meals a day for the team and on days that the team is not practicing, even though players are going up there getting extra work and stuff like that, cafeterias closed. We're not serving you any food. And a lot of players said, not a fan of that. Man, that's crazy when you do see reviews like that yeah. because the uh, NBA, they do stuff like that too. And, and one of the highest was the Dallas Mavericks. Um, but one thing I could have done without is um, – a lot of people are in Memphis, man. They have a lot of uh, c- controversy with Sean Dawkins. You know, he's leaving. And th- a lot of people are pointing to the fact that, like, on a post on Twitter, it said, nobody cares, work harder. And on the top of it, he said, mm. facts. Oh. Hashtag all in. <laughs> and wow. someone said, it's crazy you made this post knowing you was leaving y'all, your, your dudes a trip. I'm like, man, it's just, man, I don't know, man. I don't know what to even think about that, man. 
That's that's hilarious. I hadn't seen that. Uh, where are you beaming tonight, Johnny? Uh, man, I'm be- beaming to the Memphis and and Timberwolves game, oh, man. I'm really I'm really looking forward to seeing like what the young guys can do and see if Anthony Edwards is going to play today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, beam me. Uh, I'll beam to two games. Six o'clock tonight. You got Auburn and Tennessee. Also um, later tonight, Seton Hall and Creighton should be a really fun game on FS1. Um, Seton Hall, there's still. I think uh, uh, an opportunity for them to get into uh, March, but uh, they would certainly need a win like tonight over a really, really good Creighton squad to make that happen. Road game, going to be tough, but should be a fun game in the Big East nonetheless. Well, that's all the time we have. uh, Enjoy your night. Uh, Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock.